when you talk about psychological safety, like it can be a very tricky, dangerous topic if you fall into the the latter camp where it's it's about creating this false sense of conformity. Welcome to the latest episode of the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast, the place where we shine a light on the innate brilliance of the human condition and blow up the illusions that get in our way. Uh, You have your two usual hosts, me, Al Kenny, and my brother-in-arms, Mark Billows Bilby. How you doing, brother? I'm good, mate. I'm glad to be here with you. And I'm uh, excited about the juicy question we have on the table today. Yeah, me too. Well, let's get straight into it because it is a punchy one, I guess, in one regards, but maybe not, depending on what way you look at it. Um, So this comes from one of our listeners who would prefer to remain anonymous, which is fair enough. Um, And the question is this, when do you cut the cord with an employee? All the talk about psychological safety, etc., makes it seem like letting people go is the very opposite of that. Where is the tipping point? And how do you deal with the aftermath so that you don't beat yourself up? Ooh. Okay. So I think where I would begin with that one is... I think we have to blow up the illusion that is psychological safety. Jump in. No, I was just reacting to what you said. I was getting a little bit giddy because I liked where you were going. <laughs> so I think I think for a lot of people when they hear uh psychological safety, they think that you're creating uh, an environment where uh, there's this illusion of um, security and and there's this illusion that you know you, the environment is it's it's almost a little sterile because you can't really articulate what you're what you're you can't express yourself in, to the fullest extent so that's it's limiting in some ways it creates a degree of conformity and in other other ways um you know there 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 are uh, this is a this is notion that you know people have to suppress their um their their feelings and the fear of consequences of being you know being their authentic selves and and I think psychological safety can be misconstrued to create this kind of false sense of 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 safety um, that that perpetuates these illusions and and I think we just have to be very very careful about what we what we mean by psychological safety because I think in truth, I think psychological safety, or certainly the way I understand it from, you know, the way I think it's the, the person who coined it was Amy Edmondson, who's the, the Harvard professor. Um, I think the way that I sort of construed it is there's this kind of environment where you can take risks, you can speak up, 
respectfully, but you can speak up, you can be curious, you can ask questions, you can share ideas, and most importantly, you can admit mistakes or, or failings um, without sort of this this fear of reprisal, I guess it is. Um, and so it creates a really healthy environment uh, or environment where employees feel this kind of this sense of of deeper connection and trust uh, in in a way that you know a lot of obviously workplaces don't um, create that. However, um, I think that psychological safety increasingly is being used as a as a as a crutch for abdication around creating this type of environment and it's creating this what we what we mentioned earlier this false sense of 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 security which actually just results in in conforming to a very misguided set of cultural norms or or rules that that stifle all of the things that I just mentioned around what I think Amy was was pointing to in her in her kind of initial coining of the phrase. So I just want to put that on the table because because I think um, when you talk about psychological safety, like it it can be a, it can be a very tricky, dangerous um, topic if um, if you fall into the the latter camp where. It's it's about creating this false sense of conformity. Mm. There was an article in the paper here this week. Oh, well, I heard about it on the radio, so I heard them talking about the article in the paper rather than reading it. And it was about Thomas Muller, who is a footballer with Bayern Munich, like super successful. Has uh, won the championship a numerous number of times. He's won the European Cup. He's a World Cup winner with Germany. And he, but he's at the back end of his career. And he was saying that the latest generation of footballers were being hampered essentially because of a pervasive attitude that you can't give them hard feedback and that coaches need to be really careful about what they say. And like very simply, he was kind of saying, you know, if, if, if you can't take your coach telling you that what you did on the field of play isn't good enough, then you're probably not going to ever make it to the very top. And I think that, to me, that's kind of pointing in the direction that you're talking about, which is, you know, psychological safety. And I think the way that probably Amy, is it Amy Edmondson? How like had a really positive intention around transparency and openness and robust, meaningful conversation. Yeah, candor, candid conversations. And it's been warped into this idea of it is uh, a responsibility to make sure that everyone feels good all the time. And I think there's a second illusion here that I would love to stick uh, to blow up, which is it's not anyone's responsibility to make another human being feel a particular way. And it's not even on offer. 
you know, you can't, if you're going to take the responsibility for how other people feel or project that responsibility onto another person, so you, it's your job to make me feel good, well, then you are flying in the face of what's actually an offer because your feelings come from the thoughts you have in any particular moment. So just like a football coach could say to me or you and say, hey, I don't think what you did out there was your best. I think you could do much better. I could have the thought, you're being a dick. And you could have the thought, wow, that's really helpful. Like that's actually given me the opportunity to improve. So I feel victimized and you feel, um, you know, empowered for want of a better turn of phrase. And that just goes to show that it's not an offer to um, create a feeling in anybody else or to expect someone to create a feeling in you. Now, what I think is on offer is to make sure that, like, that, that you are taking responsibility for... I think what's on offer is to take responsibility for creating the type of relationships or the type of environments that you would love to work in if you're a leader, and I think this question clearly seems to me to come from, uh, comes from a, someone in a leadership position. And it's like, well, you can't take responsibility for how someone feels because that's not an offer. But you can take responsibility for the type of relationship that you are looking to create with another human being and the type of environment. And if you want to create one where people can you think you're going to give it the best opportunity for people to have, you know, to, to, to be respected, um, to know where they stand, then that means being open, clear, candid in your conversations, you know, being prepared to say the things that need to be said, even though they might not be received well in the short term. And I think when we do that and when leaders do that, people don't always like what they're hearing. But when it comes from this place, when it comes from some from the open hand versus the closed fist, they might not like what they're hearing, but they can feel the place that it's coming from. And um, it makes me think of what Chris Shambrook said on an episode from a few weeks ago which was, why don't we, rather than try to address dysfunction, why don't we try and create what we would love to have in the first place? And I think rather than trying to think about, well, what do I do? What do we do when we're firing someone so that, or letting someone go? That's probably a better way of putting that. What do I do there so that I don't have to deal with the aftermath and so that they're put in the best position possible? And it's like, if the first time you're thinking about the, that question is when you're letting someone go, well, <laughs> the horse left the barn a long time ago. What you should be thinking about is from the day you hire that person is how do I set out to work with this person such that for as long as it lasts and however it ends, they will think that this has been one of the best experiences that they've had in terms of working with a leader. And if it is, then if it ends up you getting to that point where you're having a conversation about it's not worked out, it will still be a conversation built on honesty, trust, transparency, 
candor and there won't be any aftermath for you because even if they don't like it, even if they rage against you, you will be able to stand in your own grounding and you will have to, and, and the opportunities to take comfort from knowing that you did your best to live up to the intention that you had in terms of creating that relationship or that environment for the person that you hired into your team, or, or maybe you didn't, but, but that's kind of, sorry, I've gone on a bit of a, a winding road there from Thomas Muller, but I, that's what I think is kind of an offer versus, versus not an offer. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. I mean, you know, I think if you, if you come from a place of authenticity and, and dare I say it, love, and uh, and and you uh, show up from that open hand, that place of heightened consciousness, and you are able to be radically candid without, and, and you don't sort of fall into the trap of creating false harmony and or, or or being overly aggressive or what have you, but you do it from a a very aware, respectful place, then you you do, you create the, a, a strong foundation of trust. Uh, and, and because you're probably are pointing out, you, hopefully you have the self-awareness to point out your own failures uh, as, as a means of showing vulnerability to nurture that trust. Um, all sorts of magic starts to happen and these connections happen. I think what happens is when when leaders in particular don't invest in that level of trust and when somebody asks for feedback or they have a one-on-one, they either cancel the one-on-one or when they're sitting in the one-on-one, they, they aren't being radically candid. They, they are saying, you know, how well they think the person is doing, but if they could just do a few other things differently and then it mounts and, and it builds up and eventually, to your point, you get to a point where you, you're going to dismiss this person because it's been very clear to you that they haven't been performing to the level you want them to or they haven't quite grasped the, the, the nature of the role or whatever it is. And it comes as a complete surprise to them. And quite frankly, it's humiliating. And, and I've personally had experience with, with this and and one of the most powerful things you can do when you do when you do invest from a, a, a higher place of consciousness and you and you are able to create an environment where people can be candid with each other, you can actually have a conversation from a deep place of love for the other human being as a human being, and they actually self-select out. And I I've I've experienced this on three occasions in in my professional career where I as the leader I had a conversation with somebody and I was respectful but I was radically candid about their performance and then I would say to them and I often used to have these awkward conversations on a Friday and I would say go away over the weekend think about what I've said and and come back to me with a way in which you think you can you can address this for the betterment of the team, for for the betterment of your own personal development. Um, and let's have that conversation because I'm invested in making you successful or come back and tell me you're on the wrong bus and that's okay. But I'm let's have that conversation. And 
on all three occasions, they went away for the weekend and they came back. And on Monday morning, we sat down and they said, I'm, uh, I'm opting off the bus because I see it. I'm, I'm, in, I'm on the wrong bus or I'm in the wrong seat and I don't see how I'm going to get onto the right seat. And so I'm, I'm taking a step back. And, and that is my, my personal sort of take on, on psychological safety. When you can create that environment as it pertains to letting people go. Um, I mean, the, the flip side is you create an environment obviously where you, where people can be very vulnerable. They can have these deep connections. They can, um, share things and be radically candid with each other. And it just creates an amazing environment where people just commit um, and, 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 and can be very robust with each other. And then they hold each other accountable to this awesome standard. And it kind of happens automatically and organically. And then they, they smash the results. And you and I have lived in those environments. I mean, you and I have, have had the good fortune of, of operating in a, in a place like that as well. But, but I think, um, you know, the, the question is, is, a, is one about, to your point, what you were pointing to there, about how have you created this relationship? Because that's all on you. That's 100% on you. And it's a case of, okay, what, are, what do I need to do as a leader to authentically create this environment so that when we do have to have a tough conversation, if it ever comes to that, there's no humiliation, there's no surprise. And in some instances, the individual might even say, yeah, I agree with you. Like, this is not for me. Thank you. I'm, it's tough. It's hard. I need a salary. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go off and do something else. You know, when you were talking about your example there and those Friday conversations, what struck me is how you can have a candid conversation about performance that is not personal. And I think that there's a really important factor. I'm having a candid conversation with you about your performance, which is not about you as a person. And so often, I think those lines get blurred. And that's what causes a lot of suffering on both sides of this conversation. Because everyone is it, it, it gets made personal. It's considered to be a reflection on who they are as a human being. And that to me is, is one of the things that massively gets in the way. Whereas if you're able to create a clear distinction between performance and the person, you can have a deep connection to the person and have really robust conversations about performance. And I wouldn't even say it's like, if you need to have them. I would say it's when, because I have not met a human being yet that's traveled like a perfect performance curve that just looks like, you know, always going left to right and with an upward trajectory because things go awry for whatever reason. So I, I would offer that up as an, as an opportunity for us all, which is Really make sure that what you're not doing is projecting performance onto the person. And, and you'll know when you do it because it will sound personal. They're not good enough. Um, 
they're they're no longer putting an effort in or you know and and or the same on the other side you know like they are being unappreciative or that you know it's it's all about the person versus being really clear on oh no like there's a there's a human connection that can sit underneath it and from there you can have um you can have these really robust um conversations it's interesting because uh, you and I mentioned this the other day. We were talking about the Rugby World Cup and and um, and the difference between teams that perform incredibly well in these high pressure situations. And you know, the NFL is probably another great example. And and, and I'm sure there are myriad sporting uh, analogies. But the the Rugby World Cup was an interesting one for me because. Uh, as a as an avid South African rugby supporter, it was fascinating for me to watch the coaching staff and the captain Sia Colisi talking about the dynamic in the team during the Rugby World Cup in France last year, where you had some world class players in the South African squad who never played in the big games like the semis and the finals. Um but were asked to play their their part and and but but in for all intents and purposes had sort of been let go from the from the starting 15 um or or the starting 23 on the uh, you know including the bench and these are like these are phenomenal players who in some instances would walk into any international side in in most countries and they they were not they were not on the field however there was such a sense of candor there was such a high level of trust there was this psychologically safe environment where these players played a critical role in being the opposition during all of the training sessions in the build up to these big games you know quarterfinals semifinals finals and they they sort of selflessly performed this role uh, and, and, and took a back seat to the starting 23 and, and did it without blinking an eye. And, and I'm sure that, you know, if you sat them down and said, hey, how do you feel about not playing? They'd be like, oh, of course, I'd love to be on the, on the greatest stage of the world, you know, playing the game that I love. But I understand that it takes a squad of, 35 or whatever the number is in order to bring home the trophy and I know that I have to play this role and you can only achieve that and achieve the level of performance that that they did in order to win those high pressure games if the preparation was right because the teammates were right because they did they they did hard things um, from a place of that psychological safety and I think that's an a really interesting example and it's this, and then you can translate that into business as well like not everybody gets to sit at the c-suite table not everybody gets to be an svp or vp but uh but but you can create an environment where there's this profound sense of connection where people are very comfortable playing the roles that they need to play in order to achieve these remarkable results and if they're not good enough for the squad, to use that analogy, then 
sometimes that's okay because they've they've felt this profound sense of connection to what the 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 machine is trying to achieve and they they just know that they're not up for the task and that's far more dignifying i think than somebody you know kind of grin fucking you the whole way through your career or through your role and then sitting you down one day in a starbucks because they don't want to do it in front of the rest of the members of staff and saying, hey, um, I, I don't think this is working out. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? I, I, I've, I, I've been told that what I've been doing is, is more than adequate and nobody's ever seemed to have a problem. Nobody's ever mentioned this to me, you know, particularly in, in, in America where in certain states it's, you know, fire at will. Um, and, and so these poor individuals walk away damaged because they are humiliated and they don't, they don't know what they've done wrong. And it's, it's so powerful to have a conversation with somebody up front and say, I love you. I love you. And, and even if you're not comfortable with that language, you know, I respect you. You're a, you're a fellow human being. I, f- I feel like we, we've got this connection. I just want you to know that, uh, we we we're, we're not we're not achieving what we need to achieve here and um i'd love i'd love to discuss that with you because i think there's there's a tough decision to be made here and i want to walk you through my logic like that is far more dignifying than than being blindsided and then going home and and feeling like a loser like that's that's not great for anybody like you have a real responsibility as a leader to create that experience that uh, of how you connect with people on that level because if you abdicate that and you are creating an experience where you're surprising and humiliating people um then then i think i think you've got to you've got to question your leadership style for sure was it a um Gosh, that that statement, you have to question your leadership style. I probably want to loop back around to that because I don't believe that enough of us are open enough to questioning our leadership style or just taking a, a good look at ourselves, not from the perspective of judgment, but just to kind of go, oh, hang on, where, where am I at? And, and the, the reason that stopped me in my tracks is because because as you're talking, like I know that I have definitely been the leader that's created experiences for people that I'm not proud of. And I I think I've talked about it on here, but I've talked I talk about it with people all the time. Like I had a couple of really eye-opening experiences that that caused me to really question my leadership style to question myself. And the answers that I came up with were not ones that I um, was delighted that they were the answers, but I'm so glad that I saw them because there was a recognition, I guess, that you know, driving for results at any cost is not a cost worth paying. So I, I think your thing there around this, like I, I don't believe that we have to hold ourselves to the standard of perfection 
Like we will all screw up from time to time as leaders and as individual contributors, what way you want to look at it. That is not the problem. The problem only arises if you're not prepared to be open and always looking in on yourself to go, hmm, where was I in that moment? And because I think, and, and I do want to loop around to like, how do we know like when to cut the cord or how do we know where the tipping point is and, and how do we not suffer the aftermath? A big part of it is learning to listen to yourself. Like we know when we're off track and we know when we're on track and that works both directions. Like we know when we're selling a dummy, you know, when we're kind of putting the blame onto someone else, but really we know we haven't owned our leadership responsibilities. And we also know when we just know and something's not working out and we have to have a conversation or a series of conversations with someone. And when we're coming from that place, um, it's fine. But the, the, and I realize I'm jumping around here because there's just so much in this. When you were talking about the rugby and you talked about trust and trust is a word that I think we all, trust is something, it's such an, an amazing commodity and precious commodity. When you have it, it can literally move mountains. And I think that in sport, there's the real faith and trust is put on emotional trust. And emotional trust is a trust in knowing how you are going to show up for each other. It's how you're going to react to someone when something goes wrong, when they're in need, like when the time gets tough. There's a real focus on the emotional trust, which is what often comes by default with our, like our best mates or with our close family. And, and secondary to that, still important, but secondary is predictive trust. You know, can I predict that you're going to like show up on time? Can I predict, you know, that you're going to like run the plays the way that we want to run the plays? Like a predictive trust is more transactional and not unimportant. But in business, we do it the other way around is what it strikes me is we put our primary focus on predictive trust and secondary on emotional. And, and that's what since that's what skews it all is because the minute something doesn't show up in the way that we kind of have gotten into the habit of someone showing up or whatever, we immediately allow that to disrupt our emotional trust because we've not really put a lot of focus into that. And I think what we're talking about with candor and like the way that you spoke so wonderfully before is that's what builds deep emotional trust in pe amongst people is seeing you having the hard conversation, not in Starbucks, but in the office. And actually people coming back and saying, yeah, you know what? I just had a, a, a really tough conversation with my boss. And like, how do you feel? You know what? I don't feel too bad. It was like, I didn't, I didn't enjoy hearing it, but actually I, there was something in there that I needed to hear and I'm going to go away and think about it. And then like when that starts to be nurtured, it, it creates something hugely powerful. 
And I'm just going to say that isn't that's um, that's hard to do actually. Like I don't think it's complex, but I think it's hard, and it's hard because there is a lot of pressure in business on results, and you know, there's pressure comes down from other people onto you as a leader to kind of make decisions because maybe some other people want to behave differently, you know, and they might tell you that you're being soft. You're being a soft leader because you're not, you're not like prepared to cut people and, you know, to get in a players. But I think if you, and, and if leaders were to really slow down and to, to really see what is it that I want to create, and what is my level of commitment to that, such that when things do not work out, um, I won't have any suffering in the aftermath beyond like maybe just feel like we have feelings for people, but I won't suffer. I might feel the pain of having to let someone that I care about go, or I might feel the pain of having a conversation that I know won't might may be hard for someone to hear, but I won't have the suffering. I won't have that suffering, which is thought-created suffering that, that is often associated in my book to when we know that we haven't held up our side of the our side of the um the bargain, if you will. And I would and I'm gonna go so far as to say I think most of us know this. I think most of us know it. We just kind of would like it we'd like a, a an easier path a silver bullet um a bit of sugar to help the medicine go down and it's like no sorry like we know whom we've been doing right by people and we also know when we're not and you know that's the that's the the balancing act that we're the, the 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 balancing wire or the balancing beam that we're kind of walking when we choose to accept a, a leadership position. Yeah, I I think you've articulated that beautifully, and I think um, I, I I don't know why this is so difficult for people, because to your point, I think you create more suffering when you don't come from that place, although you think that what you're doing is protecting you, protecting the person, if you are that way inclined, but most people don't even go there. Um, but they think, you, you think you're protecting yourself, you're, you're, you convince yourself that this is, you know, the, the way you're doing it, which often turns out to be quite a, cowardly way if we're perfectly honest and I can say that because I've done it um, is it is the right way and it's the best way and causes the least amount of damage blah 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 and you try and manage all the you know control all of the controllables there's another wonderful wank word illusion that we should blow up one day but it's it's you know, you, you, you think you've played this very smartly, but actually what you've done is you, you've created suffering for yourself because you will come back to it. It will haunt you. And you've obviously created immense suffering for the other person. And, I, and it's so interesting to me because to, 
if you authentically, and most human beings on the planet, you know, when you say to a human being, hey, do you love other human beings? Like, are you, you know, do you, do you have a profound sense of love for your fellow human being and connection? They're like, oh, absolutely. You know, I, uh, I'm not a psychopath. Of course I do. Yet, when it comes to this particular topic in the workplace, there is a tendency to hide behind the veneer that is corporate bullshit and and sacrifice what could have been great opportunity, a great sense of connection on on the altar of oh well this is you know this is what tough leadership this is what making hard decisions looks like and it's such nonsense because i think the boldest bravest leaders lean into this stuff they do become vulnerable they create this environment of trust of candor so that they can have these tough conversations and ensure that there's no humiliation no surprises but to your point most importantly for the rest of their journey there is no sense of suffering there's a profound sense of hey that was a hard thing to do but it was the right thing to do for the organization for that individual for the results we're trying to drive and i can sleep at night and and i think that's that's a that that's something to kind of point to i you know cuz cuz people Another illusion I'd love to blow up is this idea that you have to, you know, great leaders are, are these bold, tough leaders who who make these shitty decisions and that's why they get paid the big bucks. In in my world, you would be paid double if you were bold and courageous and brave to do what we've been speaking about here, to create that kind of environment so that even when this lovely human being is on the wrong seat on the wrong bus you are able to part ways with a profound sense of dignity trust and love as opposed to making them feel like a piece of shit and all in the name of you know the corporate banner and justification because hey that's corporate life and it's tough and and the world sucks like that's that's yeah that's that's just that's human beings being weak well just to to reinforce what you just said uh, i was listening to an interview with brian chesky the airbnb ceo uh, a really really good interview actually uh and he had loads in there about culture and so on but he was talking about having to let go i think it was two thousand people um it will have been during covid it's fascinating to listen to he talked about like legacy and like they're the moments that you want to be remembered. And he wrote a letter and he talked about love and uh, for his people. And, you know, I'm not in Airbnb and it's an interview. So I, but it seemed pretty authentic to me. And he said, you know, what was amazing, he had people sending him emails that people who had been let go thanking him for the way that it was carried out, thanking them for like the level of support that they seemed to put into place. But what struck me was he used the word love a, numer- a number of times. And I think 
what we sh- like the word legacy is what popped into my mind. It's it's like what 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 do any of us want our legacy to be in terms of other people? You know, what do you want people to be saying about you, thinking about you, and feeling about you long after? The financial years have come and gone, you know, long after the sales have been made or not, acquisitions or IPOs. What do you want your legacy to be in terms of what you imagine people would say if they all got together in a room and got to talk about you to each other? Because whatever comes to mind when you think about that question they are the guiding lights for your behaviors on a daily basis. Um, and I kind of wanted to use that just to maybe shift gears a little bit into something that for me f- feels more full of potential and possibility. And it's the idea that every human being is doing their absolute best based on what they see to be true in any given moment. Now, you either believe that or you don't, but when we choose to really see, what I'm going to say is the truth in that, because I believe it's fundamentally true. It doesn't mean that we always show up with the best behaviors. It just means we're always doing the best based on what we see to be true in the moment. When we choose to take that perspective, my goodness, it opens you up to a whole new level of depth of curiosity, um, of compassion. Because when we don't understand something, then we're like, well, I know this person's showing up. They're they're waking up every day doing their best. And it it looks a bit weird. So I'm going to get curious. And when we bring that into every single conversation with anybody, whether it's work or not, but in this case, we're talking about work right from the get-go. Imagine having that conversation with an interview. I'm going to work on the basis that you are always doing the best based on what you see to be true. And I would love for you to know that I am always doing my best based on what I see to be true. And at some point, that's going to look like I am screwing up big time. But if you know, if you can, if you can see that in me and I can see that in you, when those moments come, then my invitation is for you to be curious and ask me any questions or even just hold the mirror up and say, Hey, this is what I see. Like, what's going on? And when we start to really see that in everyone, my goodness, I see huge potential in different, a different class of conversation. Um, with people. And it also means that when we have them, we really practice it because it does take practice, but we keep reminding ourselves. And the reminder is there for when we feel ourselves getting uptight about someone. And like our little internal narrative is firing off, you know, they're this and they're that. It's like remember, reminding us, hang on. Like, I know they're doing the best. So like, that's where the sacred pause really comes in. I know they're doing their best. So like, I, I, and I know that I'm wound up at the minute. So like, let me just give myself enough time and space to come back to center, to come back home. And then you'll know exactly what to say. You'll know exactly what to do. And if that is that you're like, oh, you know what? It is time. That'll be okay. But you, 
But I just think that like the more we practice that, the more that we really start to see that and engender that into the organization. You know, we talk about values and we talk about culture, but like I'm almost moving it away from this entire idea of like, when do you cut the the cord? Maybe like we can flip the question and go, how do you build a cord that is so strong that it could never be cut? You just might not be working together all the time. But the cord that is there by default is strengthened all the time. And so you have these metaphorical cords running between everybody in the organization because it's built on some fundamental truths about human beings. And you're never going to cut the cord. Why would you want to cut the cord with someone? But you know that you're not all going to be working under the same roof forever. That's just, that's just a fact of life in whatever way you look at it. So I do think there's one way of looking at it, which is kind of the, which is right, like owning that leadership responsibility and, and actually being brave and being courageous and coming from love. And then there's going, what have we got on our side? And it's like, there's so much on your side. Like the, the, the playing board is actually tilted in your favor. If, if you want to step, if you want to step into that place, it's there. Like, I don't think there's very many people that don't want what we're talking about. And by default, we are these human, these connected beings. So we're, we're talking about like tapping into what's there by default. It's just that in the world of business, we've been led to believe that that doesn't matter as much as it does. Okay, brother, I think um, we could we could keep going on this one, but like to bring it to a close, what, what would be your bumper sticker for life off the back of today's exploration? I think it would have to be something around our perennial theme of curiosity. Uh, so I'm going to go with curiosity allows you to do hard things. Cool, man. I felt like we got quite passionate this week. It was a lot of uh, it was a lot of something in that whole discussion, which was cool. Yeah, this is an emotional topic for for a lot of us, and I think it, you know there's certain PTSD with bad bad ways of doing it that we've probably both experienced, and then there's strong conviction with how to do it the right way. I think. Um, without causing suffering. And so it, these are people's lives, you know, this is, this stuff matters. And so you've got to, you've got to be bold. You've got to be brave in order to create the right experience. And, and, um, well, I think it's, it's important. Yeah. Amen to that. That feels like a really nice place to wrap up. So to the person who put that question to us, thank you so much. It was a, a really, really good place for us to look. Um, So we're deeply appreciative to everyone listening. I hope you found something in that. And thank you, as always, for lending us your ears. Um, Please keep lending us your questions and topics that you would love to hear being discussed. Um, They really are fuel for these episodes. Um, And until next time, keep living into your brilliance. Take care, everybody. 
Thank you for joining us on this enlightening journey unraveling the innate brilliance within every human being. We hope today's episode has sparked new thoughts and inspired fresh perspectives. Remember, the power to shatter illusions and unleash your true potential lies within you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite platform. If you'd like more insights and daily doses of inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at alkennycoaching. Or you can connect with myself and Mark on LinkedIn, uh, where we will share articles and perspectives about unlocking your innate brilliance. Remember, you are capable of extraordinary things. Keep believing, keep exploring, and keep shining brightly. Take care and stay brilliant.